1: Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. You know what day it is?
2: No, I don't.
1: <laughs> it is like two weeks after Thanksgiving and like three weeks before Christmas. That's what day it is. I don't know what day this episode's coming out, and frankly, I don't really care about checking my calendar to look. I think it's December 5th. Is that what day it is? Okay. Probably well, sure. if you're if you're listening to this on the 5th, I'm living in Philadelphia now and that's awesome or it's terrible i haven't decided yet because i'm not there uh, my name is Ha Cohen. i'm here who am i here with
2: hi i am cult survivor cult expert sadie carpenter
1: i'm glad you're calling yourself cult expert now this that was like a conscious decision sadie messaged me one night and she says i'm gonna i'm gonna call myself cult expert now and i'm like you know what i think you've earned that i'm gonna start calling you cult expert too
2: Well, I, you know, I've spent over two years of my life now consistently dedicated on a daily basis to studying not just the cult that I was raised in, but other cults and cult mentality and what makes a group a cult. But before I started the podcast, I was studying this for many years.
1: And you have 20 years of life experience of being in an cult.
2: Yeah. And I think just what I realized is that I don't have to know everything to be an expert on many facets of cults. And also I realized that if I were a mediocre white man, I would already be calling myself a cult expert. No shade to to, uh, Stephen Hassan. He is actually very, very knowledgeable, but (laughs) just a shade to mediocre men in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd be calling yourself a cult expert if you were a mediocre white man and you'd write a Wikipedia page. Uh,
2: Right, so (laughs) I I think that... uh, (laughs) As part of my feminist journey, I am going to start referring to myself as a cult expert because I believe that I am.
1: Sadie, go through life with the confidence of a mediocre white man. What?
2: what but, I'm uh, doing uh, it on this one yeah. thing and we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, and just baby steps, baby, baby steps.
2: It's what we're trying to do here.
1: What we're talking about today, though, uh, because it is the holiday season and everybody listening to this has just eaten... Hopefully, and delicious Thanksgiving dinner with either family or chosen family or somebody or yourself. If you just want to do that by yourself, that's also valid. But you, hopefully you've, you've celebrated Anne Holiday or you're planning to celebrate Anne Holiday soon. And one of the best things about celebrating holidays is food. That's right. We're doing this one again, baby. Let's go. Let's go.
2: We are we're nope, cut that. go ahead. do that before we get into that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> my words did uh, not word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna leave that in. No, uh, but before we get into that, the leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host cult expert sadie carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental baptist cult the cult in which she was raised we talk about this cult we talk about other cults we talk about religion we talk about fundamentalism we talk about the real and present threat the cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole and it is our goal to promote freedom of mind freedom of thought and freedom of religion so if you like our show if you're a fan of our show there's numerous things that you can do to support us number one hit that subscribe button. So it will also recommend our show to other people who listen to the same shows that you do, which helps us get more listeners, which helps us A, get the message out there and B, uh, uh, just just expand our community. Other thing you can do, you can join our Patreon where there will be an extended and uncensored and ad-free version of today's episode that comes out one day early. So if you just can't wait till that Monday to get your fix in, you're just Jones and Jones and Jones, and for that podcast injection, then you can join the Patreon and get it a day early. Anything I'm forgetting, Sadie? Um,
2: I think that's it.
1: Yeah, we have a Facebook group uh, you oh, can yes. join. It's called Eden Exodus. You have a subreddit you can join. It's also called Eden Exodus. Um, should is it time to to thank the, the 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 patrons? Thank the patrons. El patronus. Let's
2: thank our wonderful patrons.
1: We have some awesome patrons. We have two. I gave it all to your patrons. They are Melissa Mosley and Kathleen Moncrief. Hell yeah. Thank you so much
2: to Kathleen and Melissa.
1: If I were in the same town as you, I would bake you an apple pie, either or both of you. And our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, your names are Alex Todd, Allison MacArthur, Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tully. Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen, The Musical, Eleanor Donahue, Elizabeth DeWorth, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Horton Here's a shane Oh, man, that's a good one. I, I like that one. I shane like is that really one. clever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, I clever wordplay. And we are fans of wordplay on this show, so major kudos right there. Meg, a.k.a. I'm just here to send Sadie true crime podcast suggestions. Well, we see you, Meg. You are valid. Uh, And so are your true crime podcast suggestions. Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Jonathan Miller, Kat Hedberg, K. Terwee, Kristen Marie, Lauren Vanderwall, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, MC Crunchwrap hashtag The Boy Who Cried Sauce AKA Justin Bowman, Michaela Upright Morgan's actual BFF, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arant, Mike Smith, Miranda Day, Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tara McNamara. The Lady Rabbi, Tiffany Enderby, Walnut Walnutson, and Wes the Cowboy. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much to all of our Faith Promise missions, and I gave it all to your patrons, but also to all of the patrons who support us over on Patreon. We appreciate you so much.
1: Yes, yes, yes. We truly do. Uh, we would be nowhere if not for you.
2: You ready for that trigger warning?
1: Yeah, hit that TW. TW.
2: So, in general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we'll mention at least a few of these topics, but we try very hard to avoid graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story that we're telling and we do our best to give the audience a heads up before we do go into any detail on any of those topics for whatever reason. In this episode we will be ta- we'll have a lot of lighthearted discussion about Baptist food and Baptist food culture, but we'll also will mention food shaming, body shaming, eating disorder type behavior, "quote unquote healthy versus unhealthy food and food insecurity growing up in the IFB.
1: Is that everything? I think that's it. Okay, well cool elephant in the room time this isn't the first time we've discussed this topic
2: no this is a this is our very first redo of an older episode
1: yeah um so I, the the first time we talked about this this topic i'll tell you guys i've been re i've been redoing those old episodes and the food episode i think it was episode five it's just not very good man i thought it was hilarious when we recorded it i thought it was the funniest shit we'd ever done And then, like, every time I've listened back to it since, I've just been like, God, this is not very good. Well,
2: also, as I have mentioned on the podcast before, when we recorded that episode, I was in my first trimester of being pregnant with Chuck. Um, I was so miserable. I actually recorded that episode with a trash can near me in case I had any unfortunate... (laughs) Sickness, incidents. Um, Now I can't remember if I had just found out that I was pregnant or if I was like a couple days before I found out and just thought I had a stomach bug. I cannot remember anymore. But uh, needless to say, I was very ill (laughs) and talking about uh, rich and dense Baptist food was not (laughs) what I wanted to be doing. So partly, Gavi has learned a lot about different i mean different food cultures than what he grew up in and different ways to talk about food that are less shamy. even though he it's didn't true. intend to be shamy, but also <laughs> i could have had a lot better comebacks if i had not been incredibly sick so it's really on both of us um i think now like 70 30 disagree, my way
1: at least you know yeah, i wasn't gonna yeah. say that
2: but <laughs> 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 but now, like, when we disagree on something, I think it's a lot clearer. And I've learned, I've found my voice and been able to speak up a lot more. And also, I am not horribly nauseated.
1: Yeah, the I mean, the other thing is that, like, the food, like, I mean, I, 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 the the other thing I'm thinking about is that I, like, I had some pretty terrible takes on uh, uh, Midwestern food, on Southern food. And I I have a a couple of opinions of mine that have changed. For instance, you know what I had for dinner tonight, Sadie?
2: What did you have?
1: I had Cincinnati chili for dinner tonight. You ever have Cincinnati chili?
2: Actually, no, I haven't.
1: Do you know what Cincinnati chili is?
2: Well, I know that it's a red sauce, but it's not a meat sauce, and it's served over spaghetti.
1: Well, you can have it with a meat sauce. Uh, You can, I mean, traditionally, I think it's a meat sauce. I had it with beans, Uh, so I don't know if it's technically uh a a cincinnati chili uh if if there are any purists out there from the midwest from ohio but it is basically chili served over spaghetti uh and it's delicious so uh,
2: (laughs) that sounds great i make a food called cowboy spaghetti that's kind of similar to that it's like a hybrid between chili and spaghetti sauce
1: hell yeah the other thing that like in in our original episode uh I believe I talked a bit of shit about mayonnaise. I talked a bit of shit about potato salad, and those those are a couple of opinions that have changed. We'll get into that in a little bit. Okay, we'll get into that. Um, yeah, so I don't I don't hate all of you people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned to love you <laughs> and your food.
2: So I mean. <clears throat> One of our biggest problems is that I can't make you a lot of southern food because it is the farthest thing farthest thing from kosher. It's not kosher in about fourteen different ways.
1: It's literally like what do they eat in the south? They eat well. So uh, like, uh, if I made you
2: well, if I made a lot of pork, but if I made you jambalaya, like jambalaya has both pork and shrimp in it. It's true. So it's a double no. Double no. Or if I if I made you biscuits and gravy, that has both pork sausage and milk in it. So that's kosher, not kosher, two different ways, two different different ways.
1: If I eat too much dairy, then uh, I shouldn't eat too much dairy. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you want to be <laughs> in the same room this. as me. Uh, <laughs> When You made me cheeseburger soup.
2: So I think a a big part of the problem is that there are a lot of foods that I would have just made for you that I can't. So that was an additional complication in the journey of two years that has been this episode that we're bringing you today.
1: So, so Sadie, do you want to hit that quote? Do you want to say the quote that that kind of started off the...
2: I do because Disgusting. this is a quote that I maybe still stand by. So the last time we talked about this, I started with the quote: Catholics have the prettiest buildings, Pentecostals have the power in the spirit, Methodists have the most love, and Presbyterians have great faith. But the Baptists have the best food.
1: Okay, so the the claim is that the Baptists have the best food.
2: <clears throat> that that's a uh, a paraphrase of a quote that I heard passed around. Quite a bit when I was growing up in the in the Baptist church, referring to the potlucks and church dinners that we often had.
1: See, I feel like that's throwing the gauntlet down in front of the Catholics, though. You know what I'm saying?
2: I mean, the Catholics do have the prettiest buildings. That's kind of hard to dispute.
1: The, yeah, that's true. But like I'm saying, as far as food goes, you know, like you can't uh, 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 like like w- what countries does does Catholicism have? Mexico, Italy. Poland, I mean th- those are, those are three big ones, right? You know, you, you've got your your sausage, you've got your um, everything that the Italians do, you've got mm-hmm. your everything that 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 Mexico does. Like, I mean, that's that those are strong words. So,
2: sure, but those aren't well; those aren't Catholic foods. They're cultural foods from those countries. Baptist food is kind hmm. of a thing in and of itself. It's, of course, heavily influenced by specifically Southern food and also Midwestern food. But it's it's kind of become its own thing, in my opinion. I don't think there is a thing that is Catholic food.
1: I, you know what? I think that's, that's fair. Because if I was going to go to a Catholic mass and there was going to be a and they said that there was going to be a meal afterwards, I wouldn't know what I was going to get.
2: Yeah, and also they don't do. They pretty much just have coffee and donuts.
1: Okay. Yeah. See, that's kind of lame. If I was going to go to a Baptist church service and they were like, "Oh, there's going to be a, a potluck afterwards," I would know exactly what I was getting.
2: Yeah, you would know that you were going to get a lot of cheesy casseroles, excellent rolls, and really great dessert, which we are going to get into.
1: <laughs> okay, and 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 a lot of like casseroles with marshmallows in them. Um.
2: <laughs> sure. <laughs> So I want to kind of define potluck and like what Baptist food culture is.
1: Okay, yeah. So when are you guys going to be eating this food?
2: So one thing about the Baptist church and specifically the IFB circles that I grew up in is that food culture is a huge part of church. And I I was kind of referencing this with Catholics don't have, at least not in my area, They don't have this kind of strong food culture. A big Catholic family might have a strong food culture within the family, or a Catholic community might have a strong food culture within the community, but the church itself isn't tied to food the way that the Baptist church is. Now, there are some reasons that the Baptist church is so strongly tied to food, some of which are more toxic than others, but we'll get into those. (laughs) The thing about going to Baptist church is that I feel that we ate together as a church family roughly month roughly roughly monthly, probably growing up. Okay. Sometimes even a little bit more. So if there is a wedding, if there is a funeral, if there is a holiday, it's pretty much guaranteed that there would be a gathering of the church members and that there would be a potluck dinner around that event.
1: And that would be everybody that would be just everybody that's that's involved with the church and everybody would bring something or they'd bring two things.
2: Yeah, so typically everybody would bring hypothetically enough food to feed their family, <laughs> but in practice everybody will bring about twice as much food as their family would need. <laughs> so if, you know, if you have signed up to bring the cheesy potato casserole, and your family would normally eat like a nine by nine dish of it, you'll bring at least a nine by 13 or two nine by nine dishes of it. So this ends up with a massive surplus of food and a pretty great time for little Baptist kids. Hell yeah. Depending on how good of cooks, the ladies of your church are because it's all ladies because misogyny. um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think the proportion of really great cooks in Baptist churches is Pretty high. Question. Answer.
1: On the the ladies always doing the the cooking thing. Is there ever a dish that a time when it is acceptable for the men to be cooking?
2: Yes, anything that is smoked or grilled.
1: Okay, so if it's steaks or if it's burgers,
2: yeah, Baptists don't eat steaks because they can't afford them. <laughs> but yeah, anything that's smoked or grilled actually is the exclusive purvey of the men of the church. I never saw a woman using a grill growing up I don't know that I thought that it was possible
1: <laughs> really
2: so mm. so yeah anything that's that's did you grow up seeing women grill things
1: yeah I mean the thing is when I was growing up my house was was extremely vegetarian and extremely healthy food only so you like
2: grilled vegetables there's nothing unhealthy about grilled vegetables
1: that's true in theory but that's that's not always what we would be what would it be just wasn't a priority No, no. Uh, Yeah. So that's why I ask this question, because I, I legitimately just don't know.
2: So, yeah, anything that was grilled. And then every once in a while, there would be some kind of event where men would cook. The thing is that it was always played as a joke,
1: like a powder puff football kind of thing.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Thank you for the analogy. I couldn't come up with one. So maybe for the mother daughter banquet the men would either cook or serve all of the food i think typically maybe the wives cooked the food at home and then sent the husband to the church with it and said that they made it (laughs) um but men would every once in a while but it was always it was always played as a joke um there was one man in my church growing up who did cook for just for his family like cooked dinner and it was seen as very suspect Really? Yeah, he was like uh, uh, he was seen as as very rebellious. Um he and his wife seemed to break a lot of gender roles because he talked about like respecting his wife and treating her as an equal and he like cooked and cleaned at their house in a semi equal partnership kind of way. And I remember I felt like it was very suspect and I think I was a kid so I don't really know but I think the people around me did as well.
1: I mean that's not even something that I would think about if I met somebody
2: I mean, my husband cooks at least, and we do 50-50, or he does a little bit more cooking. And until we had a baby and I became the primary caregiver for the baby, he did at least half of the housework as well when we both worked uh, full-time jobs outside the house. And now I probably do a little bit more housework than he does just because that's what my schedule allows. But he still does significant significant amounts of the cooking and the housework.
1: Yeah. I but mean, you wouldn't a,
2: think that's weird.
1: No, I wouldn't think that's weird at all. That's normal. That's like. I it's mean, that's
2: normal a, and uh, a blessing. You,
1: you figure out a balance, you know, what, what works for you guys. Um, right.
2: We have a we have a great system, by the way. Um, <laughs> he hates laundry and I hate dishes. So I do as much of the laundry as I can. He does as much of the dish, dishes as he can. Works pretty well.
1: Talk to me about these potlucks. Let's let's Pot go back lugs, to the potluck. Yeah. What, what are we What are we expecting to? Um. What Sorry, am I, I was just being to... a
2: husband guy on the podcast.
1: Uh, uh. Husband. Husband gal. Not like the opposite of wife guy. Uh, yeah.
2: Or the the correlation of wife guy. So potluck <laughs> dinners. They're a loaded. <laughs> they're a loaded topic because. There is so much good about them and so much kind of hidden misogyny and patriarchy in the shadows that the crockpots leave on the table. So a lot of it would be usually one person or or several people would be assigned to bring dishes that are main course dishes, like things that have meat in them, and then everyone else would be asked to bring like a vegetable and a dessert. So a typical potluck spread in our church would take up tables that went all the way down the side of the fellowship hall and our fellowship hall was a was a large room it had it could comfortably seat about 80 people at tables but we definitely packed closer to 150 people in there at like long lunchroom type tables and the food would wrap all the way down one side of the room and about halfway across the back of the room so conservatively 40 feet of food. It's a that lot of That is food.
1: a lot of food. Wow.
2: The kind of things that you would see would be a lot of a lot of cheesy casseroles, a lot of meat and potatoes. Um somebody would make delicious green beans swimming in bacon juice or bacon fat for sure. Um lots of mashed potatoes and corn and that sort of thing. Uh, lots of bread. If it was a a fancier occasion, somebody would make a roast. Sometimes there would be pasta dishes. Um, Trying to think what else we had that I really liked. I remember eating a lot of scalloped potatoes, like cheesy potato casserole type things. Um, lots of cheese. You wouldn't have a good time.
1: here. No, I I wouldn't. So I'm trying to think, okay, what would, like, what would I be able to eat if I was uh, going through, maybe I I'll skip the cheesy casseroles just for my, my, uh, my, my Jewish stomach. Uh, but, but what else do we have?
2: There might be a roast in a crock pot with like carrots and onions and potatoes. That should be fine
1: yeah that i mean that sounds probably pretty good man I oh actually be, yeah
2: sure but crock yeah. pot roast is is fantastic
1: it's slow cook mm, yeah oh
2: yeah i'm trying to think like what doesn't have either cheese or pork in it can okay is tuna kosher
1: yes but okay. i also don't like tuna oh i'm um, sorry personally yeah it's it's not my taste It it's not do you guys do potato salad
2: yes yeah oh yeah absolutely Okay. So last time we spoke on the topic, you had some feelings about potato salad. Have those changed at all?
1: Uh somewhat.
2: Okay. Somewhat.
1: So here's the thing is that I had I've had some potato salad that I really did not like um in the past.
2: Which is fine. So have I.
1: Which is fine because there's a million different ways to make potato salad. I've had some potato salads that were very heavily mayonnaise based and
2: Which is what I like.
1: Yeah, see, that's see that's what you would be expecting. And that was not my favorite. There's two varieties that I've had that I thought were quite enjoyable. One of them was very heavily mustard-based.
2: So here's the thing. I like a mustard-based potato salad, and I like a vinegar-based potato salad fine. The problem is I don't like dill. And almost every mm-hmm. Mustard or vinegar-based potato salad that I've had includes copious amounts of dill, and I really, really, really—it is one of the few foods that I cannot stand.
1: So you're like for dill, what uh, all those people are for, like cilantro.
2: Yes, they... exactly. The the my problem with dill is that if it is in anything that I'm trying to eat, it completely eclipses the flavor of everything else in the dish, and all I can taste and smell for hours is dill.
1: Do you like a sour pickles? Do you um, like dill pickles? Or, or no, no,
2: no. I will not kiss my husband if he eats a pickle and doesn't brush his teeth. That's wow. how much I hate dill.
1: Damn.
2: That's. Yeah. I really, really dislike it. So dill and for for people who are starting my cult of personality, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, no, dill and fennel are two of the very few. Like I, there are not a lot of foods that I don't like based on taste alone. Uh, There are a few foods that I have texture issues with, but dill and fennel are about the only things I truly just hate the taste of.
1: Interesting. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. Well, the other potato salad that I had that I thought was really good was one where rather than using mayonnaise or vinegar or mustard, it used Thai peanut sauce.
2: I would try that. I don't know if I would like it, but I would definitely be down to give it a try.
1: It was really good. It, it was like it was like potatoes and like because sometimes you get like a, a Thai curry, mm-hmm. and the curry will have potatoes in it. Yeah. So it was kind of like that. Um, it was it was just very spicy. It was like a, it was it was a hot potato salad. Um, and not served hot. Like it was served cold, but it was hot as far as spicy. like spicy as like spicy. You know, it had like hot peppers in it and Thai peanut sauce.
2: You and know, was, I'd give that a that try. Was in,
1: that was very enjoyable. I really enjoyed that. So, um, to all of those people who were, uh, 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 did not like the fact that I don't like potato salad. I, you know, I've come around on some varieties of potato salad and I just wanted to get that out there.
2: I'm so proud of your personal growth.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Same. You know what? Same with mayonnaise where I talked a lot of shit about mayonnaise. You know what? I think it was. I think that mayonnaise is just like the, uh, the 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 default way to make fun of white people yeah you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like if if you want to make fun of white people what are you going to do you're just going to say oh you guys eat a lot of mayonnaise because previously i had said that mayo was useless and that mustard accomplishes the purpose of uh of sandwich lube um (laughs) well that's that's what mayo is right (laughs) it's sandwich lube it's food lube
2: I'm so glad you did not say that the first time we recorded this episode. <laughs> it would have been the end of the recording session.
1: I would that would have been like the the worst the most cursed Faith Promise Missions edit. <laughs> my my revised take on mayonnaise uh is that while I don't intentionally order sandwiches with mayo on them, I also understand that its neutral flavor accomplishes a purpose that mustard does not. And I also acknowledge its importance in Russian dressing and fry sauce.
2: Oh, fry sauce. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do feel like I'm on the apologies who are right now. Um, and, <laughs> it's okay. And this I'm,
2: is- I'm here for it. I'm here to support you.
1: Essentially, what we're doing right now is damage control. Uh, this is this is just like a uh, massive
2: no, it's not. What we're doing is a how to no, what we're doing is an episode on how to acknowledge previous bad takes and separate them from your previous perfectly fine takes and how to be true to yourself while explaining that. That's what we're doing here,
1: yeah, yeah. No, you're right. So, but we're, while we're talking about mayonnaise,
2: we do have to talk about mayo salads
1: yeah mayo so sal- i do like i do feel that my uh that my previous snarky snarks on mayo salad were entirely justified and Yeah, i know we're gonna by. keep
2: that yeah <laughs> um, uh. the the thing about the thing about baptist salads is that there is a lot of mayo in them um i will say a lot of them are very enjoyable for me to eat they don't necessarily accomplish the purpose of having a lot of vitamins <laughs> because <laughs> some of the veggie space is taken up by mayo. Again, if this is something you want to eat, it's also something that I want to eat sometimes and that's fine. But if your idea of a salad is something that has all the vitamins and minerals in it, this is probably not that kind of salad.
1: <laughs> See, in the, the household where I grew up, a salad was... um, um lettuce, spinach, various other greens, such as like mustard greens, never iceberg lettuce, only like romaine lettuce and, uh, like, and, and oil and vinegar on top of that. That's what a salad is. Maybe some vegetables in it.
2: See, I'll eat that. You know what I really like, um, is lettuce, asparagus, strawberries, and an oil and vinegar dressing.
1: See that'll maybe do some it.
2: like walnuts or almonds in there
1: because I do feel like the vinegar and and something that's like sweet mm-hmm. th- those those go together very well. Like sometimes you know if I'm making like spaghetti sauce, I'll put balsamic vinegar in my spaghetti sauce to make it to like if the tomatoes are a little bit sweet, mix some oh, yeah. balsamic vinegar in there. You got to balance those flavors.
2: Any kind of salad that has like tons of veggies and also some strawberries or or raspberries and walnuts or almonds in it. I'm pretty much guaranteed to like that.
1: You know what it is? I I feel like just definitions of salad change drastically. Yes.
2: So have you seen those Facebook pages that post like weird gelatin recipes from the 50s?
1: Yeah. Like through the 70s? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So a little bit of food science history for, for you fine folks, in case you don't know. These companies were coming up with new products in the... 1950s through the 1970s, and a lot of them were focused on making life easier for housewives because they still presumed advertising companies and companies that made food still presumed that most women were full time homemakers and did not work outside the house. But they also recognized the growing hustle and bustle of a quickly modernizing world. So a lot of products that were invented, like cake mix and jello, and canned new kinds of canned meats and new kinds of margarine—they were invented out of the food shortages of World War II, and then they were rebranded as things to make a housewife's life easier. Really? Yeah. So that's like where a lot of these like mega processed foods come from.
1: So you, they just have you like feed in MREs to your family. Like, well,
2: powdered cheese is a direct result of of the World Wars. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Unless what? I'm ter- I'm not gonna Google it right now, but unless I'm terribly wrong, um powdered cheese was invented as a cheese preservation method, included like they were looking for something they could send with GIs to war in either World War One or World War II. I think it was two, but I don't know. And also a way to preserve the surplus of cheese due to government subsidies of dairy farms and also feed the people who are still at home who are dealing with shortages of other foods.
1: So the Parmesan that you get at the pizza restaurant that comes in like the little round little jar and you shake it on and you got the red peppers and the cilantro or I mean, no I more the like the cheese, the, the cheese that's in Kraft Mac
2: and cheese is what I'm talking about.
1: Oh, that. Yeah. Damn, cheese I did, huh?
2: And also Velveeta comes from that.
1: So about a year ago, I, I went over to Sadie's house and she made a, a, a food that we're going to talk about later. Uh, or are we going to talk about this now? Uh, or are we going to we'll, talk we'll about, talk
2: this about like, uh, We'll see.
1: Okay. Well, we're were, we were talk, uh, she made me and food. Uh, and one of the ingredients in that was Velveeta. And I had never eaten Velveeta before in my life. I'd, I'd never eaten it. Um, and that was like kind of <laughs> shocking to her that I told her that.
2: So I just made uh, you eat a small piece of Velveeta by itself. Yeah. And as I recall, you did not think it was as gross as you thought it was going to be.
1: It was a bizarre experience. It was truly a like cuz it doesn't taste like cheese but it doesn't not taste like cheese. It's like cheese flavor, but like if you if it was like cheese flavor but with the texture of jello.
2: But you, but now you know what it is. Does that make you feel a little bit better about it? Yes. Yes. No. <laughs> I, I
1: don't
2: know. So Maybe Uh, we'll talk about the food that I made you. Let's talk about that down the road.
1: I got up, I
2: got up, I got up, of course. So, we were talking about how processed foods, like the, the invention of them, and companies had so companies had all of these new fun foods, and Jell O was a big one. They wanted to market these foods to the suburban housewives who they perceived were the consumer base that was going to keep their companies profitable with the invention of all these new products. So what they would do is they would publish recipe books that were <clears throat> that, that disclosed in very small print that they were printed by the company that makes Jell-O, <laughs> and all of the recipes just like conveniently contain Jell-O. Of course, people still do this. I have a cookbook on my shelf that's all Jiffy Mix recipes.
1: Well, if you're buying a lot of Jiffy Mix, it's nice to know how to use a lot of Jiffy Mix. I mean, that's like the Betty Crocker cookbook. Exactly. Betty Crocker made all that. Like my mom down in the in the uh, in the kitchen has that red Betty Crocker cookbook. My with, mom has uh, that
2: too.
1: The same one from like the 1960s. You yeah,
2: I think my one. mom got it as a wedding present, probably.
1: Yeah. Um. Actually, one time we tried to make an apple pie from it. Um, and it had like three times as much sugar as one should reasonably put in an apple pie. And it like it it was it it was just too sweet. You couldn't taste the tartness of the apples anymore. So we basically kept using the same recipe, but you just cut the the sugar in in three but that's also kind of how food was back then is that food just like if it was preserved it wasn't as good or apples especially they were grown for appearance not for flavor and now we have all these mm-hmm. new varieties of apples that are far more delicious than any apple with delicious in its name so oh,
2: for real
1: if an apple has to tell you that it's delicious it's not a delicious apple
2: you also have to remember that everybody smoked back then so their taste buds just weren't as good
1: that's also true. <laughs> That's another and, thing. And the other thing is that they didn't have as good like food preservatives. So everything that was like canned was or or frozen was cooked before it was frozen. And so they mm-hmm. didn't have the the idea that if you were defrosting something and heating it up, that was also part of the cooking process. So if you had canned vegetables, the canned vegetables were just going to be super slimy and super gross.
2: But. Right, so food science has come a long way. What I what I was going to say though is, if you've ever seen one of those Facebook pages that posts like weird vintage fifties and seventies recipes, you'd probably find some things like that at a Baptist potluck. The good news is that it would be the less gross of them. Like I never had um, tomato aspic Jello at a Baptist potluck. Uh, I have had some Jello set foods like you would maybe see on those social media pages that you may or may not follow. I'm um, curious, but not How- like the gross ones. Not like the bananas and hot dogs set in Jello that I that lives in my head rent free.
1: <laughs> you do you follow the boys who can cook Instagram?
2: I uh, I don't follow it, but I like look at it sometimes.
1: Yeah, I, I I I follow that one. I send you stuff from that one from time to you time do. if it's truly really gross.
2: <laughs> so. The, th- the thing to remember about these uh, fabled mayonnaise salads um, is that a lot of them are delicious and a lot of them are not. The- can I talk about the thing-, the thing that I hate?
1: Okay, go for it.
2: The thing that I hate as far as a salad-dessert hybrid food is ambrosia. And this is another take from our original food episode that I will happily stand by, even though I took a lot of flack for this one.
1: Did people really get mad at you for not for for this?
2: One of my friends from Hiles Anderson was like, I love ambrosia. You're crazy. But like, that was like the reaction that I got. So ambrosia um, is a a fruit salad and it can be made a lot of different ways. My mom makes it with grapefruit, mandarin oranges, pineapples, peaches, and coconut. And that's fine. Other people make it with dairy. So it'll be like pineapple, mandarin orange, orange slices, many marshmallows, and sometimes like sour cream. Which is where I get off. Like the hmm. the marshmallows and the sour cream. That is where I get off of that train permanently.
1: That's that's a weird combination. I'm not gonna lie, it's a weird combination.
2: So I'm looking at like the Alton Brown rep- recipe. It's half a cup heavy cream, a tablespoon of sugar, four ounces of sour cream. Six ounces of mini marshmallows, three cups, three cups of mini marshmallows, Uh, orange slices, pineapple, coconut pecans, and cherries. I I can't with the sour cream and the mini marshmallows, the mini marshmallows like disintegrate in the acid from the fruit and it kind of makes this fluffy goop. And I can't, I'm sorry to ambrosia lovers, I cannot, it's the texture, I can't do it.
1: It's just like I mean, it's it feels like it's uh I mean you've had trifle, right? You've had a trifle.
2: Sure, I've made them.
1: Trifle is is like a a a delicious dessert. This feels like a a an abhorrent abomination that that is like a a descendant of like a distant cousin of trifle.
2: It's my problem. It's the mini marshmallows that people use, like the flavored ones that are like. Some of them are orange flavored, and some of them are lime flavored, and like, I can't, I can't. It turns into a multicolored rainbow fluffy goop with like the acids from the fruit, and mm.
1: I just don't understand why sour cream has to come into this. It feels like that's that's a, a strange ingredient to have in a in a fruit salad, but that's.
2: Yeah. Neither so anyway, that's that is a um, that is a dish that might appear on the main food table, or also might appear over on the dessert table, and I am not touching it, regardless of where it is placed. So, uh, what should we should we talk about dessert before we go to break?
1: Hell yeah! Because I feel like y'all like did the shit out of dessert. Like,
2: yeah. Know? So Baptist yeah. dessert is where I really. It's like sinking into a deep armchair. It's my comfort zone, and I do not care how much sugar or carbs is in a thing. It is just going to be delicious. So, you know, like a standard length, did you eat at folding tables at your school, or did you have those like picnic table type lunch tables?
1: Uh, we had the ones that I mean they folded, but they like folded up, and then they would slide off to the edge of like the gym because we would eat in the gym, right? Um,
2: and then like folding chairs.
1: Uh, no, they they would they would have like benches mm. on the, It would be like benches that were that were like the table and the bench would be one piece, um, and then the 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 bench would fold onto the top of the table, and then the table would fold in half up and be like on the side of the wall.
2: Sure, yeah, I've seen those.
1: Yeah, you know what I'm talking about.
2: So what we had for church dinners was um standard size folding tables.
1: Oh, so like a beer pong table.
2: Sure. <laughs> I think I've never played beer pong, sadly. You've
1: never played beer pong. Okay, well, we gotta fix that. No, I just like
2: gotta... then the opportunity has never presented itself. So um we we would do like I was saying at the top of the episode, we would have tables all the way down one side wall of the fellowship hall. And you would go down that that side, that table, and you would try to take a little bit of everything for reasons that we're going to talk about in the back half of this episode. And you would get to the dessert table. You were fully expected to have a completely separate plate for dessert, and for a church dinner that was serving between 50 and 100 people there would easily be 20 different desserts wow the desserts my dude
1: you i mean you could just like skip dinner and just load up entirely on desserts and you would still only be able to have half of them
2: sure yes uh the Holy older ladies f- in my church <laughs> were amazing bakers and had endless dessert recipes uh, and I still bake their recipes. Like there are recipes that I got in church growing up that I still bake uh, happily. Like what? So, um, I got my my snickerdoodle cookie recipe came from an older lady in my church.
1: Oh hell yeah! I yeah. bet it slaps. I bet it yeah. slaps.
2: <laughs> and then from there, I found a snickerdoodle cake recipe, and snickerdoodle cake is amazing. Off. Oh, hell yeah! So at back at the Baptist potlucks, um. I will tr- I'm going to try to put together like a dessert table in my mind, like what you would see. So we would typically have two complete folding tables full of dessert. So let's see, you would have a chocolate cake, some kind of different cake like carrot cake or red velvet cake. Uh, you would have a pound cake or angel food cake or both. You would have maybe some of those those lemon shortbread bars. Oh hell yeah! Like, yeah, those would probably make an appearance.
1: God, I'm remembering the the lemon the the lemon uh, uh, bars that you made like a year ago and gave to me, and I ate them all in one day. Oh, <laughs> well,
2: I found God. a I found a dairy free recipe for those, so I'm going to try it in the future, from when we're recording, and in the past of when this is published. <laughs> when you come over mm-hmm. for dinner before you. Oh leave.
1: my God, that would be. Truly legendary. It's still
2: got eggs, but it's dairy-free, so it should be good. Hell yeah. So those lemon bars. Also, have you ever had Blondie bars? It's like brownies, but not chocolatey.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're th- Yeah. Mm. So, Where it's like butterscotch.
2: Yeah. Or, yeah. So you might have those. You might have some brownies. You might have some fudge, multiple different types of cookies. And then you get into like the more creative types of desserts. One of the ones that I remember having at church is chocolate lasagna. Go on. So my memory is a bit fuzzy, like probably because I was incredibly hopped up on sugar, but a, a very high <laughs> <and> caffeine <laughs> because church dinners are when kids can sneak coffee. But
1: R.I.P. to your parents.
2: <laughs> R. They R. gave P. me the coffee. <laughs> They're the ones who encourage this. So so okay, so chocolate lasagna. It would be like layers of chocolate pudding, like chocolate pudding, graham crackers, whipped cream, or cool whip, and then chocolate pudding, graham crackers, whipped cream or cool whip, and then Hershey's chocolate sauce on top. So something like that would qualify as a chocolate lasagna. Layered desserts in general are like pretty popular. Hell yeah. So we might have that. We might have a couple different kinds of pie and then some kind of chocolate mousse or pudding based dessert or even or banana pudding if somebody got really fancy, which obviously is still something I make.
1: OK, wow. So the dessert table is stacked.
2: The dessert table is super stacked and I have no complaints except okay. for Ambrosia, which except has been Amber- discussed at length. Would you like to go take up the offering and come back to continue this rolling discussion on baptist food
1: and when we come back i mean like th- this is all fun but there's there is a little bit of a darker side to this as well so we're going to discuss that when we do come back
2: of course um, yeah obviously you're this is leaving eden
1: <laughs> yeah this is a cult podcast so even the fun stuff can't really be fun
2: that group is called eden exodus tell a friend tell a family member tell your worst enemy the leaving eden podcast is a fully independent podcast and we really appreciate your support now back to the show
1: Okay so we've talked about like the kind of things that you would eat and and the and the, the sorts of, the sorts of foods that that you cuz it's it's always a bit funny to me that I mean that the, the Baptists are are seemingly a people who don't really go hard in any direction except for one their like theology and two like the food and everything else is just like Absolutely not. It's locked down.
2: Well, I think that's exactly it. Um Baptist rules, specifically IFB rules, completely forbid drinking. Completely forbid any other kind of recreational substance use, of course. Including, caffeine. including nicotine, yeah, caffeine. And boy do they go hard on caffeine. <laughs>
1: <Ooh>. Wow.
2: <laughs> um, they you you can't have extramarital sex. Of any kind, and not only that, you can't have any kind of physical contact with a person of the quote unquote opposite gender who is not your spouse. You can't go to movies. You can't drive fast cars unless you're a Skop. You can't own a boat, and you can't like you're you you can not consume any kind of explicit material, ethically sourced or not. Although people do, <coughs> Josh Duggar, <Digger. coughs> uh, you 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 know there all of the the vices that are seen as acceptable in modern society. I mean, heck, you can't even go to movies or concerts or listen to non-Jesus music in your car. You're not supposed to spend a lot of money on fashion. You can't smoke cigars. There your your list of vices and simple pleasures that people enjoy. Like my de-stress activity is typically watching Bachelor. And of course, that's banned by the IFB for like 14 reasons. So the, your your list of things that can bring you simple pleasure in life and be a de-stressing activity, whether they're vices or not, you can't gamble. Yeah, you know, these, these things are banned. And what's left is food.
1: So of course, you're not going to eat like this every day. This is like special occasion food that we're talking about.
2: Yes, but special occasions come often, and I think a big part of that is is because it's the only outlet. I know there's a lot of discourse mm. about IFB pastors who are heavier people, and I think some of the criticism that gets aimed at them is fair, because these are the guys who are saying not to enjoy worldly pleasures and you know your body is not your own your body belongs to god and you you shouldn't take pleasure in anything other than god and the bible says that gluttony is a sin and and what that means in scriptural context as i perceive it is like the roman practices of like eating until you're sick and then purging and eating more i could definitely see that being a sin
1: yeah don't do that please <laughs> don't
2: do that it's um, bad for you eat yeah food that may eat food that oh. makes you happy and amounts that make you feel good by all means man this episode makes me want to go bake a chocolate cake so bad
1: dude if you bake chocolate cake i will eat chocolate cake man i, would I will eat-
2: probably be up until midnight but i still might do it hell yeah i really i really might this episode is really making me want some delicious chocolate cake
1: or you could make uh, a like, chocolate pancake mix and then make pancakes tomorrow for your husband and Chuck.
2: I could do that. I actually have. I have packaged pancake mix. I'm sure I could just put some cocoa powder in there. So I think it is fair to criticize Baptist preachers who prohibit other people from having pretty much any enjoyment in life and then talk about how much they love food and show videos of themselves eating food in very large quantities often
1: wait is that a thing that they
2: they'll post like pictures of their plates at at church dinners and things
1: well that's also just like a i mean if you're the pastor right you're gonna want to like show that you're eating something that everybody's brought
2: right so that's kind of a, a, a social obligation but i i think that people tend to gravitate towards food as a comfort mechanism because it's the only thing that's available to them and it's hard it's hard for me to blame people for doing that even if i even if i have the instinct to judge them for the amount or type of food that they're eating it's it is i always have to stop myself and remember that this is they would they would judge me for my very minimal alcohol intake
1: they would also judge you for the color of your hair.
2: Right. So it, it is hard for me to to really pass judgment on people because I know how it is. And I know that this is one of the few carnal pleasures that is allowed to them in their life. So I there were a couple of quotes from our original food episode that I wanted to read because I felt like they were very salient on this point. So one one thing that I said was Baptist food tastes like being told that you're free and trying to believe it. The other one was you were promised a fresh baked chocolate cake, but you show up and you find out that you're actually expected to bake this cake yourself from a dusty box mix with eggs that are one day before the expiration date. Are you still eating fresh baked chocolate cake? Well, kind of but not in the way you were sold it. Also, your family and friends have become invested in this chocolate cake, and you have been told that this is the only chocolate cake that will ever make your family and friends happy. So whether you really want to stay there and bake the cake or not, you feel obligated. You could just walk away. The door isn't locked, but there's suddenly a lot of pressure on you and this cake. And then in the end, you eat the entire cake to shove down the feelings of shame about not making your friends and family a better chocolate cake.
1: That's really sad. That's really...
2: That's I feel the
1: pain that you you put into those words.
2: That's really how I, I... That's the food analogy that I would use for the IFB life. And I wanted to read that because I felt like that was maybe the beginning of Sadie's extended analogy corner on this podcast.
1: Which is a great corner. It's one of my favorite corners.
2: It's almost as good as Sadie triggers herself again.
1: Sadie triggers herself. Well, in... <laughs> Sadie triggers herself. She's part of the furniture. She's eating the furniture. No, that's not right. <laughs>
2: no, it's my child and my cat.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. I'm sorry.
2: But that, I felt like that was um, a, maybe a really good analogy for the emptiness of IFB life. And I think it's it's very natural for humans to seek out things that comfort them. And everybody does it i know there are plenty of people who don't engage in any kind of substance use for many different reasons i know there are people who don't watch trash tv for a number of reasons but i think that everybody has their thing i think that everybody has their comfort thing what's mine yours i don't know formula one probably right
1: yeah i mean yeah
2: listen to house of speed (laughs)
1: Outs of Speed Podcast, episode one comes out tomorrow. I've recorded it already. It's gonna be super fun, even if you don't like even if you've never seen a Formula One race before or know nothing about it.
2: I have never seen a Formula One race and know nothing about it, and I'm going to play your podcast episode on the day it comes out, because I support you.
1: It's gonna be super fun. Uh we made it specifically for beginners, so
2: <laughs> I am uh yeah. I'm a little peeved that your spin off comes out before any potential hypothetical spinoff that I might be working on.
1: You have a baby.
2: I know. It's like, oh, it's Chuck you... my spinoff show.
1: No, well, I mean she could be, but like, when are you gonna do a spinoff show? Like, that's w- like, a literally, great question. There aren't enough hours in the day.
2: <laughs> I have two planned, but cannot do much about it right this minute.
1: Yeah. So, question for you. Sure. So, um. Since your dad's passing, has your opinion on this changed? Because I know, like, I mean, the, the food is one of the aspects of, of the the IFB life that- uh, That,
2: that least, negatively impacted yeah. his health. Sure. Uh, food, a lack of access to health care while we were still in the IFB, and stress and burnout while we were still in the IFB, I personally believe were three big factors.
1: Lack of sleep.
2: Sure. This may surprise you, but honestly, no. I do believe in taking care of myself and wanting to be a generally healthy person. But if eating extremely healthy all the time and having no sugar and never having chocolate cake again would allow me to live to 85 years old and living the way I do now, where I enjoy the things that I want at a level that feels moderate and good for me would allow me to live to 75 years old. I would rather live to 75 years old.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I was, I was raised in a house where like the, the where the opposite of that philosophy held the former of those two options is, was like (laughs) the, the philosophy to live by. Now I'm very much like,
2: yeah, i I value the good that I get out of my time on earth more than I value getting every possible minute of time. Do you want to talk about some potluck faux pas in the ifB?
1: yeah, let's let's do. okay. So if I'm at the potluck uh, and and we mentioned this uh, briefly before, if i'm if I'm a guest at the potluck, if I'm not the pastor, mm-hmm. am I socially obligated to. Take a little bit of something f- that everybody made. Like so, every if you day.
2: are not the pastor or the pastor's family, is what you're asking.
1: Yeah, if I'm, mm-hmm. ju- if I just came and I'm just like, and, and and I'm just a church member.
2: If you choose one protein, one carb, and a couple different vegetables, and one or two desserts, you're good. If, however, you get a piece of Miss Betty's chocolate cake and a piece of Miss Gretchen's chocolate cake, but you don't eat a piece of Miss Julie's chocolate cake, you're in trouble.
1: Oh, okay. Because you've committed a
2: slight. Or if you eat everybody's different kinds of cheesy potato casserole except for one person's, then you've... You have uh it's like Victorian fan language or Victorian flower language. You have committed a, a faux pas.
1: Okay, so what if uh what if Miss Julie brought a chocolate cake and she brought snickerdoodle cookies? She brought two desserts. Mm-hmm. And uh and and Miss Gretchen brought chocolate cake and Miss Barbara also brought chocolate cake.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I eat Miss Gretchen and Miss Barbara's chocolate cake, and I eat Miss Julie's snickerdoodle cookies. Is that okay?
2: It's okay as long as you tell Miss Ju- Miss Julie how good her snickerdoodle cookies are.
1: Okay. Well, you know what? That's fine with me. I I would never eat a dessert that somebody else made for me and not tell them how delicious it is. I can That's confirm
2: just, you are great with dessert compliments.
1: It's just common. Well, you're great at making desserts, so. Well, thank it's, you. I, mean, I had it's, lots it's, of good training. It's common decency. Uh, uh, it's it's politeness, you know. If somebody comes to your house, you take their coat. If they bring you a dessert, you tell them how delicious it is. Um, uh,
2: we did you know, have they're... some interesting church members who were kind of known for bringing odd things to potlucks.
1: Oh, it, like what? Like a fruit cake? Or like a? No, uh,
2: we had we had one man who brought uh, a loaf of bread. Oh, okay. Well, I mean... to a meal that didn't really require it. <laughs> um, we also we had a church member. I...
1: Like who, what kind of bread? Like a like Wonder like, Bread,
2: like white bread. Oh,
1: so not like he went to the bakery and no, and like like got, went to like a a, a a Grand Central Bakery and got the the Cuomo or the no, um, like he the was Kumo? he he was
2: Whatever. a he was a sweet man. Um, th- there was a man at our church also who signed up for a potluck, and the dish that he signed up to bring was jicama,
1: like the vegetable. Yes, Just like like a jicama. Yes. I mean, jicama is good in like a salad. <laughs> yes.
2: as, as, as,
1: it's it's an ingredient that is a, a quality ingredient. It's like if you combined like a, a an underripe pear and a cucumber.
2: It's a fine vegetable. It's, it's not fine. a dish to itself.
1: Are you just gonna like eat straight jicama? I mean, I could see if you were like if you had like chopped jicama and you had chopped jicama and hummus.
2: Yeah. That yeah. would
1: be good. I mean, like, would you bring like a, a a stock of celery just to the?
2: That was the vibe.
1: That's like the the. He brought an Hickama like because hickamah has like a, a like a a skin on it.
2: Yeah, uh, I think he intended to bring it chopped. It th- this never actually happened. Like, I I think in the end, the organizers of the potluck told him that it wasn't necessary. That he was he was good could just come eat
1: okay well that's that's nice i guess you wouldn't want to just have like a i mean it's decorative you know it's it's if, if, <laughs> if you're you have kelly havens like if you have a cornucopia uh sure, then you sure. could have a jicama in your cornucopia
2: so i do want to talk about the 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 pressures of the pastor's family because you were asking me about if you're just a member, do you have to eat some of everything? I did really feel like there was there was pressure as a pastor's kid. I remember having to eat things that weren't my favorite, maybe something that just had a lot of dill in it. Um, not food that was bad, but just food that I didn't really want to eat. And I think this is is such a good illustration for what life is like as a Fundy pastor's child, because your your dad's job very much depends on you. And I know that Artradish it's just, and all my other former missionary kids are just uh, feeling the acknowledgement here because the the teaching of the IFB is that if your pastor's kids don't fall in line, the pastor can get fired. And that certainly applies to not being a bad kid, not getting kicked out of the Christian school and not holding hands with your boyfriend, aka committing immorality, or anything like that, but it, it also applies to minutia of your behavior, and it is a lot of pressure. I feel like uh, having to eat a green bean casserole that you don't want to eat because of what your dad's job is is a really uh, apt analogy for, for for fundy pastors' kids' lives.
1: So, did you ever just like wish that, like, you would look at the other kids' plates and you would say, "Man, I wish I, mine could just be like cheesy potatoes." And like grits and gravy and yeah. and, and, and roast and and you've gotta have the green beans that you don't really want. You've gotta have the 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 dill that you don't really the dill salad that you don't really want. You've gotta have the ambrosia that you don't really want on there as mm-hmm. well.
2: That was that was the one that I hated was I always had to eat ambrosia at church dinners. Yeah, I think a lot of pastors' kids and former missionary kids, staff kids can relate to the experience of, I wish this wasn't my dad's job so I didn't have to live with this pressure. That being said, for a kid who grew up food insecure because of the IFB, for a kid who grew up very restricted, church dinners had a lot of positives for me. This was a time when I had a lot, I had access to a lot of food and that was a great time. For me as a kid. And also, church dinners were a time when kids got to run around and be kids. So these were a chance for adults to, trigger warning for word usage, but what the IFP calls fellowship, which means sitting around and talking about things that aren't gossip or things that aren't gossip or things that are gossip but are very heavily coded so they don't sound like gossip. (laughs) Like, you know, you might need to, like... Well, say a prayer for Mrs. Stevens. Uh, I noticed that she's looking all pale again. She might be expecting a new blessing. <laughs> that kind of thing.
1: Oh, okay.
2: But while the adults were doing that, the kids were sneaking coffee from the kitchen, drinking the leftover grape juice from communion, and generally wreaking havoc on the rest of the church building. <laughs> so there are a lot of really good memories tied into church dinners growing up.
1: And that is really nice though. That like, I'm, I'm glad that you have those nice memories associated with it, especially because you, if you mix cheese and potatoes, like you, you can't go wrong. Can you like, that's
2: not, not really.
1: like, but that, that brings me to something else I wanted to. So like when you had me, uh, a try Velveeta, there was a couple things that you made for me that day. And these are both, uh, dishes that I think are iconic, that that we have to discuss.
2: Okay, um, okay, fine. We can do it.
1: So the first one that I I wanted to bring up was tater tot casserole, right? Um,
2: yes, this is a this is Duggar food.
1: This is Duggar food. So you made a tater tot casserole, um, and I tried it. And what I this my distinct memory is one of of salt of uh,
2: okay. So the problem with the tater tot casserole that I made you is that I had to make it kosher, right? So I couldn't have both meat and cheese in the same dish. So what I chose to do was use plant-based meat substitute and real cheese. That was my mistake. I should have used real beef and vegan cheese.
1: Okay, you think that would have been better?
2: Yeah, because the the plant based meat is super salty.
1: Right. Okay. That's that. So makes that's so where much I pain. went wrong. Okay. See that that was that was a thing. But the the other thing that I wanted to that I was thinking about with that is that a lot of the uh, 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 this food in particular was interesting to me because a lot of the ingredients in it are all they're all like shelf stable ingredients, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got your tater tots, which which are like a, a pre made ingredient, um, and you can just like heat those up, or or you can um, cook those in the oven. Um, you've got what cream of mushroom soup, right? Right. As as an ingredient, because I you know I never I never grew up eating cream of mushroom soup. I didn't really know about it, but apparently it's not really a soup that you eat as a soup. It's a soup that you use as an ingredient for.
2: Right. Usually casseroles Definitely. or sometimes other soups.
1: Yeah. And, and so there's the cream of mushroom soup. And then there's the the cheese. The cheese is also shelf-stable. Or, or if you're using Velveeta, which I assume that a lot of people do, that's also shelf-stable. And if you're using meat, I guess you have to get the meat as an ingredient. But you could also use, like, sausage. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are all, like, pre-made ingredients that go into this food. And I think that's interesting.
2: So I think this comes from two different sensibilities that highly affect... The IFB, maybe three. So, the first thing is that it needs to be inexpensive because this is a church that not only encourages you to have lots of children, but also encourages you to give lots of money to the church. So, that necessarily leaves many families who are bought into this kind of theology living where money is tight, if not below the poverty line. So these are – and also the church soft forbids – it's not a hard forbids, but soft forbids food stamps because that's the social gospel that's taking money from the government and that's bad.
1: And That's Catholic.
2: Right. So uh, see the fundamentals episode.
1: <laughs> that's such a wild thing that they were – they're anti-social safety net because that was – with the Catholics before. That's so Well, violent. and
2: we also talked about the FLDS who encourage their members to take advantage of all government programs and then funnel that back through the church. Any benefits that they received back through the church.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess at least they're not corrupt like that, which is nice, but
2: Yeah. You know. <laughs> so the food, so number 1, I think the food needs to be inexpensive. There are actual classes at Hiles Anderson where part of the curriculum, of course, classes only for women, where part of the curriculum is how to save money on groceries, because it's just expected that you will be living under some amount of food insecurity.
1: Okay. But also, I feel like they should just have a class like that in public schools where they teach you how to shop for groceries effectively like when you go out on your own that's not that's not a crazy class to have that's a extremely reasonable class to have a at, at, at.
2: Sh- my yeah my issue is more with the, the marriage and motherhood degree in general as i've discussed yeah yeah but the um
1: let the boys take that one too except that sus like that guy in the first half of the episode
2: men can't take that at hiles anderson
1: that's what i'm saying let the let the boys take oh let take them
2: it. right yeah, let the right that would be less sexist for sure uh i think the other thing that we have to consider when we're considering the ifb's heavy use of like making processed foods into other foods is the convenience factor because we're talking about people who the the, the women and fat people um are all but mandated to be stay-at-home mothers and they're all but mandated to have the maximum number of children that they can possibly handle or more. So you're, you're talking about someone who is on a very limited budget, raising lots of kids with very little help from their partner. It makes sense that foods that are easy to prepare are going to be a big thing. You've also got heavy amounts of parentification. So you're looking for foods that a 12-year-old can feasibly make by themselves, whoever the, however old your oldest AFAB child is. So I think all of those things go into this idea that a lot of typically IFB foods are like processed foods that are made into other foods. There are reasons that make sense for that. So I did want to recommend the subreddit, while we're here, a good resource if you are looking to learn how to meal plan. There's a subreddit called Eat Cheap and Healthy, and some of the people on there go... (laughs) uh way too far for me like people who will meal prep for an entire week and then eat the same meal for five or six days in a row I do not want to do that so I do not
1: (laughs) I got I you know what I shouldn't do I shouldn't share that with my dad because that'll like
2: (laughs) (laughs) but there there are some really good concepts on there um Obviously it's Reddit. So anybody can say anything. So take it with a grain of salt. But if you, if you're looking to learn how to meal plan in a way that saves money and still get good nutrition, that's not a bad place to start. You know. So you wanted to talk about a couple more fundy dishes.
1: The next one is one called uh, a cheeseburger soup and cheeseburger soup uh, is yet another one of the dishes that you made for me. Um,
2: Again, and, I think it was the. I think I just picked the wrong brand of meat of plant-based meat stuff. I think I think you would have liked it if I had done something different with that.
1: Maybe I don't know. I just I it it just wasn't it wasn't for me. I think um,
2: maybe it was just the the Velveeta texture that threw you off. It wasn't. I
1: you know for me it it wasn't just it, Sadie. Do you want to describe the food to people or?
2: Yeah, so cheeseburger soup is, if you've had like Iowa potato soup, it's not that different from that. Potatoes, carrots, celery, onions, cooked in a chicken broth uh, or a veggie broth, and then ground beef typically added to that. What makes it different is the addition of a lot of Velveeta so it kind of makes it like veggies and meat in a cheese sauce, like the kind of cheese sauce that you might use for mac and cheese. That's kind of more the vibe.
1: I don't know. It just, like it just didn't totally hit for me. I don't know. Maybe it was just like the the cell having the celery in there as well, and the.
2: This is one of my favorite mm-hmm. foods, and you've just reminded me that I have not yet made any this fall. So well,
1: you should make some. It's cold out. You should make some. Uh, enjoy that. Feed it to your child and husband.
2: Well, we have an evening off work tomorrow, so that might be my project.
1: Well, hey, that should be fun. I I tried it. It was not for me. It was uh, it it was not to my taste. But this, this is is this a Baptist food or is this just like a a?
2: This is a Midwestern food, but it is the kind of thing that you might you might find at a Baptist potluck. So, do you want to talk about one like other? Weird, weird Baptist-associated food that I really like.
1: Yes, please tell me about it. What What are we talking about?
2: Oh, I've actually got two. So I want to talk about Waldorf salad.
1: Okay, what's Waldorf salad? You explained this to me before, and I can't remember what it was.
2: Waldorf salad. It's a fruit and nut salad. So it's like apple, celery, grapes, walnuts, and mayo.
1: That sounds all right.
2: It's pretty like, how good. How much mayo? How... It's pretty good. It's like it's like a sweet and tangy kind of food.
1: What, like how much mayo are we talking?
2: It's the here? dressing is, for the for the salad.
1: Is the dressing just like straight mayo, or is it like a mayo based dressing?
2: It's mayo. It's all of these things mixed in mayo, like like mayo based potato salad is all of the ingredients mixed up into mayo. The other the other uh, Baptist associated food that I am a really big fan of is pimento cheese sandwiches. Actually, hold that up. That doesn't
1: sound uh, p- so. Pimento che- pimento cheese is the I don't think I've ever had pimento cheese.
2: I am going to take a quick break and text my mom and ask if she will make me some the next time I see her.
1: Please do that. That's So you're going to see her like...
2: I'm going to see her in real time uh, about a week from now in the time that people are hearing this about a week ago. Okay. I have sent the text. So those are those are some foods that are kind of Baptist associated that I do still really love. I feel that Baptist food culture is so heavily based on women produce a thing and then men devour the thing. It's near and dear to my heart and it's it brings up such complicated emotions for me because there are so many good memories tied up in Baptist food and events where we would all eat together but that it also so exemplifies the particular brand of sexism that you find in baptist in ifb circles in particular it's it is all based on women doing extraordinary amounts of work while men do very little the for these church dinners women would spend hours you would hear often oh so and so stayed up all night to finish the food for this potluck and when it came time to clean up the men didn't get off their butts that was that was women's work it is something that's really interesting for me to talk about because it encapsulates how good memories can can come from something that is in a lot of ways inherently toxic and it i think it says a lot about the expectations that were put on me not only as a pastor's child but as an afab person growing up in this incredibly misogynistic incredibly sexist society that enforced gender roles with such vigor (laughs) I don't know. I don't feel like my my opinion on that is completely set. But what I have noticed over the last few years is that I've been able to reclaim not hating everything that is feminine coded in the IFB world simply because it was forced on me. I've really enjoyed coming back to some of these hobbies and interests and things that I can do for my family on my own terms like cooking and like baking and even sewing. Um, These are things that after taking a break from them after, because they were forced on me, I have learned to love again. And I really like, I really like that. I don't have a big theory about why, but I I think that's just a, a happy thing that I can report from this whole thing.
1: Well, that's nice. That's, I mean, that's, that's good to hear. And I think that's really insightful. Um, do you want to maybe like tell one more funny food story and then we can wrap this episode up?
2: Oh, I know what you want to talk about. You want to talk about mayonnaise cake.
1: (laughs) I want to talk about mayonnaise cake from the the first time we did from the first episode that we did. Um, (laughs) and so, so this, the, the idea of mayonnaise cake, and I, I think I found this so funny just because like I was saying earlier in the episode, mayonnaise, like it was not an ingredient that I ever grew up eating. It was not an ingredient that I think we even had in the fridge when I was a kid. And so I always thought it was kind of gross. And then, you know, like it, it, as as I got older, if you were going to make fun of white people, you would just like mayonnaise was just like the first thing that you'd throw out there. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Sure. Like, so the fact that Sadie told me that there was like a, a food called mayonnaise cake, I was just like, ha, white, people. you know what I'm saying? Like, right. The, the, what are the goyim up to? Uh, and
2: <laughs> much worse things than mayonnaise cake. Let me tell you, <laughs> much,
1: bud. <laughs> these days, ugh, oy vey, oy ge right? Um, <laughs> but like, now that I think about it, what what is what is mayonnaise? Mayonnaise is egg yolk. It's like vinegar and like oil, right?
2: Yeah, and all of those are things that you can feasibly put into a cake.
1: Those are all already cake ingredients right is egg vinegar and oil those are those are all
2: so it sounds a little it sounds a little nutty but when you think about it for a minute it makes sense
1: i mean it's like if you were making tacos and you use like a a a spice mix that already existed like you were saying oh i'm gonna i need to season my chicken oh what am i gonna see i'm gonna use tahine season the chicken you're not like oh, instead of making to use- your own
2: mix sure yeah so i'll tell you the mayonnaise cake story and then i have um i have i think what'll what'll wrap this whole thing up nicely hold on so this story is in honor of my dad because this is one of his favorite stories to tell love your dad so, yeah so i when we lived in iowa before my dad took the pastor job in illinois He was an assistant pastor in Iowa. One of the things that he did was run the bus ministry. So I often, of course, as the person who ran the bus ministry, he had his own bus route. And I would often ride the bus with him. So I would get up at ungodly early hours on a Sunday morning, put on my little church dress, my little white ruffled socks, and go with him to pick up the bus and then drive out to Des Moines, pick up. Bus children and bring them back to the church. There was an older woman who rode the bus to church who lived in a trailer park in Des Moines, which I have a headcanon that some of the guys from Slipknot came from. Don't mess up my headcanon. Because, you know, all the guys from Slipknot grew up in trailer parks in Des Moines. So. My personal belief is that like I've walked past Corey Taylor at some point in my life, and I don't want anybody to disabuse me of this belief because I like it, and it doesn't hurt anybody. So there was an older woman from one of these trailer parks that rode the bus to church with us, and she kept bringing up her famous recipe for mayonnaise cake. Uh, so it it you know it makes sense. It sounds a little weird, but she keeps saying she wants to bring mayonnaise cake on the church bus for all the kids.
1: Oh, well, that's sweet of her.
2: It is. It's kind. So one Sunday she shows up with a sheep cake and it, it is her favorite, it's her famous mayonnaise cake. She's cutting slices. I'm sitting like near the back of the bus. She's up at the front of the bus with my dad, and she's cutting slices and handing them out to kids. And I go up to get a slice of the mayonnaise cake, and my dad is like, No, you can't have any cake. And I was really upset because I like really? cake. I wanted some mayonnaise cake.
1: When was your dad ever telling you you can't have cake?
2: Well, That's like... there was a reason. So this lady had brought one knife and paper, uh, uh, many paper plates to serve this cake to all the kids on the bus. So what she was doing, though, is she would cut a slice of cake, serve the slice onto a paper plate, and then lick the knife clean. Uh, and then cut and serve another slice. So that's why my dad told me I couldn't have any cake.
1: Why would he let her continue to serve that to anybody?
2: Because he, he couldn't he... like Stop. what was he like what was he gonna do?
1: Yeah, but there's other there's like parents that are like, hey, I No, you there's can... no
2: parents on a church bus.
1: Yeah, but they, they've they've given over their children to this man with this bus going to this church and they
2: yeah but like <clears throat> what was he gonna do like piss off this old lady because he said you can't give these kids any more cake
1: i guess and I also admit.
2: all the kid make all the kids mad who are like standing in line to get cake
1: yeah but are the kids seeing her like lick the knife or yeah she... the,
2: they don't care
1: i guess kids are kind of gross i don't know have, man. You read
2: how... any, have you ever read any of Corey taylor's interviews about how he came up like how he no. grew up
1: i i i was never like new metal wasn't my thing. it wasn't really as a slipper if
2: if you google what Corey Taylor's upbringing was like a lot of these kids probably had something similar and weren't too concerned about a little knife licking. I did have mayonnaise cake later in life. I did think it was fine. I thought sour cream would have also been a fine addition to the cake, but that's my that's my mayonnaise cake story
1: that's that's really funny that is mm.
2: so. I was wondering if we could do something maybe a little different. Uh, can I end this episode with a Bible verse?
1: Are you sure? This is what, how you want to end this episode of the show. What, what kind of, ep- what kind of show are we? Is this, is, is this uh, are, are we on?
2: I think it's relevant.
1: Are we on RFP now, Sadie?
2: Yes. We signed the <laughs> statement of faith. And okay, we're we
1: RFP state. Uh, you know what we're going to do? And we
2: now hate gay people and have, extremely specific views about plenary what is it plenary atonement
1: versus ransom atonement <laughs> no you know what um you know what we're going to do <laughs>
2: we're going to start calling a lot of people heretics
1: what what i'm planning on doing is uh, uh now no i'm not actually going to do, do this um uh, in in the in the the question for joining the facebook group i'm going to ask will you join will you sign on to our statement of faith uh <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's how uh, we killed the Facebook yeah. group.
1: We are not, in fact, going to make members of our Facebook group sign on to our statement of faith. That's and...
2: correct.
1: <laughs> no, Nor... I'm not gonna put that as one of the entrance. Do you questions. think
2: it's disappointing to people that I actually don't care about atonement? Do you do you ever wonder? So atonement is this it's a huge thing that, that a lot of the Theobros are kind of fighting over right now. Uh, uh they all believe that Jesus paid for our sins when he died on the cross, but there it it is how? Did God kill Jesus to satisfy his own anger against humanity and now his anger is satisfied and he doesn't have to take it out on us anymore? Or did Jesus and the devil have an MMA match for the souls of humanity and Jesus won? Or did Jesus's blood pay the debt of our sins and if so to whom was the debt owed was the debt owed to God or was the debt owed to Satan Anyway <clears throat> that's the big thing that that a lot of people are are really getting up in arms about right now and I feel I feel like I'm going to disappoint uh, people if I tell them that I actually don't care <laughs> Like this is I believe in sin and redemption I believe in like There was an offense and now that offense can be forgiven, but I actually don't care how it happened.
1: My concept of sin and my concept of redemption is entirely different from the, from the way that Christians see it and the way that Christians believe it. So all of this stuff is, it's all Greek to me. Yeah. Get it?
2: It's all Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic.
1: Yeah. It's, it's. It's Foreshadowing yeah that's what we're talking about next week no uh that's that's kind of that's kind of my opinion i i i I can't be bothered it's like if sadie uh it's like sadie talking to me about bachelor fan theories um
2: yeah
1: and i'm just like i've never seen the bachelor i don't know who you're talking about i don't know what the the fantasy suite is i don't know what the um but any of this stuff is. So I um,
2: I actually do though. Uh, I am not turning into a Theo bro, but I actually do want to end this one on a Bible verse. And I'll give you Oh really? Yeah, I really do. <laughs> and I'll give you this disclaimer though. If this works for you in a religious sense, great. If this works for you in a non-religious like good advice sense, great. If this doesn't work for you, that's fine. Um
1: Which Bible translation are you using, same? I'm
2: using the KJV cuz it's my default. <laughs> Because it's like, if I have a verse memorized, it's in KJV.
1: Are you speaking out publicly against the Vulgate of St. Jerome?
2: That's next week, Gavi. (laughs)
1: Sadie and I have spent all of today writing uh a, a, and researching about different Bible translations and why the fundamentalists have to, like why it's like so important for them why to be King James version.
2: Uh join us next yeah. week where I info dump on you about way more than you ever would need to know about St. Jerome.
1: <laughs> yeah, hit me with this Bible verse, Sadie.
2: So this is uh this is Psalms 104 verses 14 and 15. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man, that he may bring f- forth food out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which, strength- which strengtheneth man's heart. And there's another verse, I don't know the reference, but I have the verse memorized. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from, a- is from above. I, I would, When I read those verses, I think that God made things for us to enjoy. And if we make the wheat and eggs and (laughs) cocoa beans that God gave us to enjoy into chocolate cake, all the better.
1: I'm with you there. I I like that.
2: I think that God wants us to enjoy things.
1: Thank you for tuning into this uh, episode of the podcast as you, hopefully by now you have finished your Thanksgiving leftovers and you are... Uh, planning out what your holiday meals are going to be for uh, this holiday season. Um, join us again on Thursday when you will get to hear uh, the remastered version of part two of the first family of fundamentalism series. You last week, you heard about a Jackety Jack Hiles, uh real bad dude this week. You're going to get to hear about Jackety Jack part two, the deuce, um, also doing bad things again, um, as he does in the year of 1989. So tune in on Thursday when you get to hear the the new remastered, remixed Taylor's version of that. Uh, and that should be fun. Um, anything else we have coming up? Oh, Sadie's, uh, I, I realized, uh, this week when I put the episode, Out that I forgot to chop this out of the episode. Sadie promoted a concert that her husband's band was playing and that concert is now canceled.
2: Yeah, by the venue. It wasn't his fault. But I am going to let you know when the next show... Go ahead and follow Red Hoof on Instagram if you're into metal music uh, and supporting cool local bands. Uh, And if when they have a show that I'm going to be able to attend, I'll let you know when it is. Because I would love to see fans of our show supporting his band as well
1: it's a good band man they, they rock um, they do and i was yeah. on
2: their um i was i did a lot of work on their album so if you stream or download their album you can hear me playing piano and singing and doing some vo- voiceover work
1: and if you can't get if you just can't get enough of the Gavi. Um, tune in tomorrow to hear me and my friend Milana talk about Formula One racing. Uh, if you've never watched Formula One racing before and you know nothing about the sport like me, yeah, like, just like Sadie, we're making a podcast specifically for you guys for specifically for people who have either never watched F1 before or only watched the Netflix series and are trying to figure out what, like, what, like. What to do now that the season's over, um, what to do and 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 and, and how to get into that. So, we want to just get everyone up to speed. But that show is called House of Speed Podcast. You can check that out. First episode drops tomorrow, December 6th.
2: I'm um, so excited for you. I cannot wait to check it out.
1: Yeah, I think you'll really like it. I think you'll you'll like hearing my friend Milana go because it's it's I, I play a different role on this show as I do on that one, like. I, on this show I'm not the I have the facts guy um, that's you but on that show I'm often the I have the facts guy although my uh, co-host Milana also has a lot of the facts and she is very passionate about the subject and that's a lot of fun to listen to so tune in for that and it'll be a good time um, All right. you, yeah you can follow our podcast on uh, Facebook and Instagram at leaving Eden podcast on Twitter at leaving Eden pod uh, Sadie you want to plug the social media
2: yep you can follow me on twitter at hell Yeah sadie as long as twitter exists (laughs) you can follow
1: knows
2: (laughs) when that's done uh, i'll be on instagram still at sadie carpenter music and you can follow me on tiktok at sadie carpenter one
1: and you can follow me on facebook instagram and twitter at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n thank you guys so much for tuning in Uh, We have one more episode after next week. We're talking about Bible translations week after that. We're reviewing a funny movie uh, and we'll let you guys know what that is next week. So you can watch it and, and tune in with us. And so we hope that you guys have a good day. Bye. -bye.